name's David Vardabedian. Thanks so much for tuning in to Get Real Sobriety. Hope you enjoy this show. All right. Welcome to Get Real Sobriety. This is not David. This is Tasha Martin <laughs> uh, coming at you from the uh, beautiful Santa Barbara Alano Club. And today uh, I have with me one of my best friends in the whole world, Miss Sierra Miller. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, life after sober living, life after mm, rehab. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I, uh, I have known Sierra. How long have I known you? Like five years? Five years, I think, yeah. That's really fucking long. Um, I don't think about it. It's like the whole time I've lived in California, basically. Yeah. I think minus like that weird six-month period that I tried living with my parents and didn't work out. Yeah. Um, yes, but uh, so I met Sierra because you were the manager of mm-hmm. the sober living that I, one of the many that I've lived at, but <laughs> yeah. the one that I stayed at the longest. <laughs> yes. And um, uh, yeah, Sierra has seen uh, some of my bullshit up close and personal. Well, I've been very present. Yeah, very, very present <laughs> for those moments of uh, insanity, if yeah, you will. Yes, yes, yes. Before I was this shining star of recovery yes. you have before you today. Um, but uh, yeah, how, so how long do you have sober now? Um, actually, on Valentine's Day, I'll have six and a half years. Shit. I know. It's like a long time. I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. It, um, sometimes you just forget how long it is because sometimes um, being out there seems like yesterday and sometimes it feels like a lifetime away. Yeah. Um, and so after the years start to go on, you realize, like, for me, when I hit six, I was like, holy shit, six years? Like... That's longer than I did certain drugs. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, just to think in six months, God willing, I'll have seven years. Um, seven for me seems ridiculous. <laughs> like that's extreme. Yeah. Like we didn't have to go this far, but here we are. <laughs> but here we are, yeah. This is where we ended and I'm so blessed and happy that it did. Um, but it is very surreal. I can only imagine. I mean, I only have two years and it feels surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The timelines intermesh with how, you know, the time that I've gone through and because I was at uh, the sober living for so long, the giving tree. um, Great little plug there. Yeah, I had to. I know. Um, It's. You know, I've come across so many women and so much different types of sobriety and personalities. Um, yeah, the time just is one day at a time for sure, but it definitely can fly by. Um, yeah, without you even noticing. Absolutely. It's crazy. The yeah. days like, with I mean, you hear it, I feel like I remember hearing it a lot in early recovery. I, I mean, many times over that yeah. like the days do start to add up and... Mm-hmm. And it is a thing that, like, once you get past, you know, that initial, I think, like, that, like, slog of early recovery of you're like, oh, my God, this is taking so long. Can I just be over it? Yeah, I think for me in the beginning, people are like, it's just one day at a time and uh, the days add up. And I was like, well, you're full of shit because this 24 hours is the longest 24 hours of my (laughs) entire life. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, And then it starts to happen to you and you're like, oh, there it is. I see now. Yeah. Um, and because you just start to live life, like a, a quote unquote normal life again or for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, and so that day to day just tends to be like normal people where you're just doing your job or you're going to school or, you know, you're doing the normal things, which for me makes time go by quickly. But I was not used to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's, I think that difference is that I didn't live a normal day-to-day life. I couldn't hold down a job yeah. um, or relationships, and I sure as shit didn't have any hobbies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so those days are just chaotic, and so now it is, um, 
just being a productive member of society. It's so wild, isn't it? That it's like I sometimes feel like uh, like an undercover like secret agent yeah. in society. <laughs> that it's like if you only knew. <laughs> oh yes, right? especially yeah. Now that I'm like in nursing school, yes, and uh, I started two weeks ago. Yes, um, claps for that. I know. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is very surreal, especially like um, what Suboxone got brought up in uh, my pharmacology class. And she's <laughs> like, the professor was like, uh, yeah, um, buprenorphine. I was like, yeah, buprenorphine and naltrexone. <laughs> yeah, you're like, um, I'm <laughs> naltrexone. Yeah, I was like, I know that one. Um, and um, so it is, there is a little bit of, I totally relate to that uh, secret agent Yes. Yeah, like I, knowing that seedy part of drugs that when people look at you now. Yes. Not back then. But when they look <laughs> at me now, um, they're very, you, they wouldn't assume it. For sure. Yeah. No, it's like, and I know you know the story. I've told you that like at my at my work when we had, this is a while ago now, but we had a, a patient that, because I mean, those of you listening know I work with animals, I think at this point, but um, uh, we had an animal that we needed to drug test. Mm. And nobody knew how to read the drug test. <laughs> so I had to like show them. They were like, what's MTD? You know, like what are these? What BUP? What's it? What is this? Opie? Oh. Yeah, let me give you the list. Yeah, yeah. They were like, oh, is it on opium? And it's like, no, you guys just Wishes. step back. Step back. Let the professional through. Okay. <laughs> let me show you how it's done. But yeah, it's like, it is, it's crazy how... And I mean, I'm sure you will you will find this, you know, and that you have found it to be true. I know I have that, like, having that experience, um, it definitely makes me feel like a more well-rounded human being. For sure. Um, I can already tell, and I've already been able to tell in certain areas of school and in work, um, A, either being more knowledgeable about something that, isn't necessarily <laughs> beneficial. Yeah. Um, but it has been beneficial to know about things or to have compassion. Yes. Uh, I think is a huge part. Um, you know, in class, I was asking the other day, excuse me, because there's an opioid epidemic. Yeah. Right. And one of the big things when we're learning about pain management is this um, idea that everybody is there drug seeking. And, mm. you know, and patients are treated differently if they are believed to be drug seeking and I asked my professor because I'm curious like why does it matter if they're drug seeking and they want some Dilaudid like mm -hmm. is it going to affect my license if I just give it to them or I don't care that they want it yeah and she was like no and that is something that I often ask myself why are these nurses and doctors um so upset or you know feeling a certain type of way around people seeking drugs yeah um because if their pain is real you don't want to dismiss that and even if they are seeking drugs to what extent of you being an asshole is going to help that process for yeah, them yeah 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 um you know what i mean if they're going through all the trouble to come into the er to get something from you it's like they're not going to hear what you have to say about um they're not going to hear what you have to say if you're just being rude to them because they're there seeking a certain substance. It's grandstanding. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, most likely they're going to end up leaving with that medication either way. <laughs> uh, and so you might as well, A, make it easier on yourself. Yes. By, you know what I mean? And not causing so much conflict. And then I know so many people in recovery that have super messed up stories of how they were treated in hospitals. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm hoping in taking going into nursing is that I can take that compassion um, of, you know, if they are a drug addict, it's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a big deal. They're still a human being. They're going through their own shit. Um, you know, I'm just trying to get through my day. They're just trying to get through theirs. Can we just do this copacetically and move on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 I I mean just knowing you as a person, like I know that, you know, you'd be able to like treat people with dignity, which I think is what everybody wants. Pretty much. You know, yeah. what a crazy idea, I know. <laughs> I know. Um 
So, I mean, we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but like what, so give our beautiful, wonderful listeners a little bit of your backstory. All right, for sure. Um, So just to give you a little bit of what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. (laughs) The standard format. Yes. Um, So again, I'm Sierra. I'm an alcoholic, mostly an addict. Hi, Sierra. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I am from Washington State. I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, right next to Portland, Oregon. And, um, you know, one thing that I find important when I talk about a little bit of my history is that I had a good childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I had loving parents. Uh, we were, you know, lower middle class. You know, we didn't have a lot of money, but um, my parents loved me. I had a younger brother. Um, I grew up on 23 acres in like this boonie area and we had cows and, (laughs) um, junker. I remember at one point I probably had like 10 broken down cars in our (laughs) front yard. A little white trash. Just a little bit. That's okay. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I think that's important idea because, um, you know, it doesn't matter what your childhood was like. Yeah. Obviously, if you've had a terrible childhood, it can exacerbate or um, influence more of a possibility of becoming an addict or an alcoholic. But it doesn't. It's not the final decision. No. It's not yeah, the nail I mean, in the coffin. Um, because I had a good childhood, and I still ended up a fucking addict. Yeah. Well, you and me both. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so. I, um, you know, teenage years, that's when it got harder for me because my parents went through a divorce and I was 16 and rebellious and um, hated the world. (laughs) And so I learned that a great escape was drugs. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, and I took advantage of that. Alcohol, too, but mostly drugs. Um, So, of course, you know, it starts off with smoking pot. And then a little bit of ecstasy. And then the molly, you know, maybe a little bit of acid, some shrooms, coke. That was like my high school experience. For sure. Um, It's all innocent, partying. Exactly. On the weekends, you know what I mean? I remember one time a friend and I like took a whole bunch of molly and went to school. And then like after (laughs) second period, we're like, should we go? And I'm like, yeah, I think we should go. go. (laughs) I don't want to be here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, it was very... I think, in my opinion, it seems like an average teenage life. I know that there are many people that that is not that is average. Not their so I'm yeah. very biased with, and I recognize that my opinion's a little skewed. Um, <clears throat> but it was all pretty innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then after high school, I decided that, and by which I barely graduated, like by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. Um, so there were already signs that not the most beneficial thing to my life um but at that point i did not give a shit well, yeah you're um, young you can't be told anything yeah i can cuss on this right because i realized yes, okay i've been doing that a lot no so yeah that's this, good. Is that a, is this is a this is a swear word friendly <laughs> okay. podcast uh, i was like well they're gonna have to delete all of this right? already if not marked e for explicit yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so after high school, I'm like, I'm going to join the military. I'm going to join the army. My grandpa was in the military. Uh, you know, this will be, um, thinking about it now, kind of an easy out. Yeah. Um, of, um, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with my life. I don't have, I don't, college never seemed like an option for me. And if it was, it was like through the army. Like they're mm-hmm. going to pay for yeah, it yeah, and push yeah. me to do it. Um, and another thing that has always been an issue in my life, and truly my first addiction is food. Yeah. Um, I've been overweight, um, started being overweight probably around eight years old. Um, and that was one of the things that was very alluring about certain drugs was oh, the yeah. weight loss aspect of that. Um, so I'm going to join the army. I had to lose quite a bit of weight. Um, I went through that. I did that. You know, I, I lost 80 pounds, I think. And it started with uh, with um, exercise and like walking and going to the gym. It ended with meth. <laughs> yes, yeah, as it can do. As yeah. one does. Um, <clears throat> but what happened is that I got into meth at 19. And this is all in the time frame that... I'm going to join the army and I'm realizing that it's helping me lose weight and not eat as much. 
Um, and even then it was still very recreational. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I wasn't recognizing internally how much I liked it or yeah. how much I was starting to rely on it. Um, and how much it was influencing my decision making because I was 20 years old. Um, you know, I'm not on the best trajectory, but I'm not on the worst at this point yet either. Totally. And I met a guy. Ah, yes. And that's where, when looking back at it now, I'm pretty sure so much of my lack of decision making, um, was influenced by my drugs and my alcohol use at that time. And also, I had zero Mm -hmm. self-esteem. Absolutely none. So, 20 years old, this is the first... I'm, again, always been overweight. So, this is the first guy that has any interest in me because I've just lost all this weight and I don't know how to deal with it. Um, And he becomes abusive. And I am so insecure, so just fucked up in the head. Um, I don't leave. You know what I mean? Because I can deal with being miserable if certain aspects of my needs are being met. So I'm someone likes me, loves me, you know, quote unquote, says they do. You know what I mean? Says they do, or they do in their sick way, unfortunately. Um, And, uh, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper just to say that he got me into prostitution also. Yeah. Because it shows the level of where my fucking head was at. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, by the grace of God, that only went on for a short amount of time. And it was a lot of, you know, hitting of the thighs and the upper arms, things that were covered. Of course. Um, it was very methodical on his part. Uh, and then the last one before I I left was a black eye. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like, you can't really hide that one. Yeah. You know what I mean? At this point, I think it also scared me to the point of it's progressing. Yeah. Where is this going to go? So on my 21st birthday, I left him actually. Um, And that caused me a lot of uh, issues mentally of going through that trauma, going through that abuse. So when I go back to a friend group or some friends, some people I'd used those party drugs with previously in my teenage years, they are all doing heroin and meth regularly. Yep. The natural progression. Exactly. Of They've been progressing over there. I'd been progressing in my, I think mental issues yes. and like the breaking down of me as a person. So it was the perfect combination yes. of, uh, a fucked up result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's when heroin and meth, the dynamic duo of my yes. life, came into play. And those are my drugs of choice. Those are the ones that I was addicted to. Meth I used for about six, seven years. Heroin was about four or five. Yeah. Um, and that is where this steady decline um, and steady incline of alcoholism yeah, that's what I call it. You For know. sure, it's the ism. It's exactly the ism um, took hold, and um, so the shit that you hear from everyone: lost my job, uh, got my first um, theft charge, mm-hmm. um, go to jail the first time. Um, you know, in a matter of I think from 2010 to. 2013 14, I got two felonies, three misdemeanors, and seven driving while suspended. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just really like, working on your portfolio. <laughs> if you look at me on paper, it's like, what the fuck happened in those years? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, because literally nothing before and literally nothing after. Um, so Just a rough couple of years. Yeah, it's quite apparent yeah, something yeah. was going something down. Something was going wrong. Um, and, you know, just to give you some examples, I get in. Uh, I became a booster, and for those of you who don't know what that is, that is a person that professionally steals and sells it back or trades it in or et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Um, and so I was the person that, you know, I think one time I walked into a JCPenney and left with like a $600 suit in my purse. <laughs> Ask me how I did that now, and I would be terrified to oh my attempt God. that. Yeah, I would be um, shitting bricks. But, yeah. 
but zero inhibition, you know, zero, you know, it was so much more important to me to get money, to get drugs, to survive than the thought, than the fear of going to jail. 100%. Um, You know, I think in the year of 2000 and there was a certain point where I went to jail every single month. Um, and I was in drug court and I was not ready and willing to get clean. Uh, and so I'm going to show up for my UA tests, but they're going to be dirty. And yep. I'm going to show up for drug court every single week and I'm going to go to jail because I don't want like, I had this weird um, way of like convincing myself that it's like, well, you're going to go to jail but it'll only be, you know, a three-day stay. Yeah. Opposed to getting, like, another warrant for not showing up to court. <laughs> um, so I'd always show up, and I'd always go to jail. Um, and, you know, needless to say, as all of this is happening, my relationships with my family, with my friends, um, with anyone who has ever cared for me are crumbling. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. to the point of non-existent. Um, you know, and that's the stuff that it's really funny to like joke about how many times I've been to jail or the shit that you see on paper, all my mug shots, I'm sure would be quite a collage. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yes. Faces of meth. But the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but there is that part of it that is like, you know, my mom's house got robbed because of the people I was hanging out with. My grandma's house got robbed and they stole her engagement ring that she had had with my grandpa for 60 years. Yeah. Um, I was too much of a bitch to ever actually want to commit suicide, but never wanted to wake up. For sure. Um, you know, my every day to day life was, um, wake up dope sick, try to scrounge for some money. I'm, I'm stealing shit dope sick. I'm going, I'm doing the gift card schemes. I'm doing the, the receipt returns. I'm begging for fronts. Um, it was not... I was not one of those people that like dealt and always had enough dope and, you know, money for me to get by. Like that was not the situation. Oh yeah. Um, and so, um, just to speed it up, that's, you know, the course for a few years. And at this point now I'm like super broken. Um, I'm not living. I'm literally surviving just to use drugs. Um, and I, of course, in my, great working mind that it was yeah your infinite wisdom there it is i decided to go back to that abusive ex oh yeah because who doesn't yeah um, right it sounds like a really sound plan you know i thought it was yeah i get it and um and so in that he has progressed in his abusiveness i've progressed in my addiction um and within a certain amount of months i end up in the hospital um with an extreme case of abuse, um, one that one of the officers that dealt with my case said he had never seen, um, nurses telling me I should be dead. Uh, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail if it's triggering for other, for readers, 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 <laughs> listeners, <laughs> listeners. Um, but it was bad, you know, to the point that he was sentenced to 20 years um, for... Uh, 20 years in prison for attempted murder and a few other charges. Um, And at that point, uh, I was running my life into the ground. It was like either someone is going to have to pick me up and put me somewhere or I'm going to kill myself. Like those were my, that's the only way my brain worked. And um, in the most embarrassing and beautiful thing that has probably ever happened in my life. I'm doing drugs with some friends at my dad's house because he's gone a lot. I got some girls that want to be prostitutes, so I'm taking pictures of them to post up on Backpage, which is a prostitute site. Um, And my 80-some-odd-year-old grandparents walk in (laughs) to that site. And um, when I tell you that my soul shattered into a thousand fucking pieces, I mean it. Because my grandmother and I locked eyes. And it was like, it's over. Yeah. Like, it's over. Um, the jig is up. Precisely. Yeah. And uh, again, one of the most embarrassing things, but it was the catalyst that got me and why I'm sitting here today. Yeah. Um, so I'm super grateful for that moment. Um, 
because that was like a weekend. The following Monday, I called rehab centers. um, And I think within like two weeks, I flew to California. Yeah. And I went to rehab out in Lancaster um, for two and a half months, which I'd never really been to California except for like Disneyland as a kid. And, um, and it's a fucking desert. Yeah, Lancaster. It was 105 <laughs> degrees. Yuck. On my first day, like going to the doctor, and I was like, I hate this place. Yeah, it's the um, worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I stayed there for two and a half months. I started reading the big book. Um, I started listening to what people had to say. Um, and I decided I probably should not go back home. Um, so I took a train to Santa Barbara. I went to a sober living here in town. Um, and that was the beginning of my sobriety journey, which has continued to here into today. I, I did all of the things that you hear. Um, I got the sponsor. I went to meetings. I got commitments. And, um, and I got a little job. <laughs> and then I started because I was asked to be like a support manager of the sober living. And then the lead manager left and I was asked to be the lead manager. And then I went, started going to school at Santa Barbara City College. Um, and I was the lead manager at the Sober Living for three years. I managed in total for like five and a half. I actually still go there a few nights a week to help out and manage. Yep. Um, and got into nursing school. Um, you know, all of the material things came back. And then the relationships with my family, making amends to my grandfather before he passed away. Yeah. Um, having a relationship with my mom and my brother and my dad, my brother specifically, who's younger than me and really wanted nothing to do with me when I was using, uh, is actually just booked his ticket to come visit me in March for the first time. Oh my God, that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, that's what it is. It's I got pushed to this point of a willingness to finally mm. try something different because I couldn't figure it out. I was broken. I didn't have any answers. Uh, I went to AA and I was like, fuck it. Let's see what you guys got. Yep. Um, Last and, house on the block. Exactly. You know, <laughs> and it's unfortunate that I had to be pushed to that point, but I'm pretty sure that was the only way I was going to get here as soon as I did. Because uh, I didn't use for that long compared to some people. You know what I mean? It was, you know, bad addiction for six years. Um, so at this point I'm almost got more sobriety than I did like full ism, alcoholism. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, or addiction. Um, and you know, shout out to sober living if anyone's thinking about going into it, because I'm pretty sure that place is really what solidified giving me the opportunity, um, to get some sort of recovery under my belt for sure. Um, and, uh, and to give me the the willingness and the strength to do things to help others that you know has been one of the biggest blessings and probably like solidifiers of my recovery is being able to be of service to others and yes. in small ways you know they don't have to be these huge magnificent gestures um sometimes it's just being willing to like listen to what somebody's going through and relate to it um so yeah, I mean, I guess that is the old rundown. That's of what like kind the of an the, su- the summary. Will, yeah, of an <laughs> addict I was and the person I am today, and um, you know the stuff that I do to maintain sobriety and not going back to being a miserable piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, right. I know, and it's very easy to fall into. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. I guess you know because I mean. So how long have you been out of? The like living in a sober living. Now. Moved out in July of 2020. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. I know. The COVID God, era. <laughs> the horrible 2020, yeah. the worst year ever. Yeah. 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 Um, and do you, have you found it difficult to maintain your recovery in any way? Is it more difficult outside of sober living? I mean, there's definitely less accountability, right? Because yes. in sober living, like for me, I'm I'm constantly around 35 other women. If I come home shit faced, someone's going to notice. Um, <laughs> this is very true. Yeah, I speak from experience. <laughs> I, I caught it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and then you get tested. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where I don't have. Uh, I live alone with my cat, and uh, he ain't going to call me out on shit. Yeah. Um, so. 
you know, I'm not being tested. I'm not being looked at by anyone. So, of course, my brain has had these moments like, hmm. Like, I mean, I could, I could get, like, you know, a bottle of wine, which I don't even like wine. But my brain, yeah. brain's like, well, you could still get it. You could do it. And nobody would know. Yes. Um, so, of course, there are those aspects of it. Um, and I think that's why I was there for so long. Like, the ability to have people to reach out to, mm-hmm. to have um, my friends in sobriety, um, to have a spiritual connection. Um, all of those things were so important to build while I was in sober living so that when I left, I had that shit on lock, essentially, to the best of my ability so that when I left, when those thoughts popped in my brain, I can be like, fuck off. Like, we all know that's some bullshit. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Exactly. Um, Yeah, and I guess, like, that was, um, like, one of the questions that I had for you that I think, I mean, I'm sure you've been asked this. I think I may have asked you this at some point. Uh, uh, but like, what are some of the habits that you developed in sober living that have been the most useful for you outside of that accountable environment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, prayer. I'm gonna plug prayer. Yeah, like oh, it is the last. The, she's the prayer master. Thing. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, you could walk into the office of the sober living and bitch me about something, and I'm still be like, but did you pray? Um, yep. So much so that one of my really good friends made me a T-shirt that says, but did you pray dot, dot, dot on it? And another one that says, bitch, go pray. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're, you, we have a meme of you. There is a meme. There is. Of, a- that says, but did you pray? With your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and the reason I suggest it is because it fucking worked for me. And that, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I don't know why saying some shit in my head um, and I put it out into the universe that for some reason I feel some sort of relief, but it works. And, uh, you know, I can't explain it, but I'm one of those people that I'm all about the results. Yes. Uh, I don't really need the details. Like, I never needed the details for heroin or meth. I just wanted the results. Absolutely. Um, so I try to have that same frame of reference when it comes to recovery. Prayer is number one. Because uh, I can always pray whether I can get a hold of a friend, a sponsor, a sponsee, anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, meetings are super helpful. Um, because if you give me an opportunity to be in my head and let that whirlwind get out of control, I will do that. So even a meeting for one hour can stop the chaos. Yes, um, And another huge, huge, huge thing is being of service to someone else. Um, If I have an opportunity to call someone just to see how they're doing, again, I'm not in my head. Yeah. And all of my shit is in my head. All of the things that are telling me I can drink or it'll be different this time or it'll only be one, like all that shit's in my head. Um, You know, I don't have no crate. I don't have any physical withdrawals or cravings that are telling me that I need that you know it's my head telling me for some fucking god-awful reason it'll be different this time even though that's never been the case yeah um or no one will know that's again which will never be the case um and so I have to do things to counteract my thoughts and all of the time it's get out of my head yeah. Uh, and that means involving somebody else because I am so self-centered to my fucking core. Um, you know, you give me an opportunity like this to just talk about myself and here we are. I'm like, yes, of course I'll yes, do a podcast about me. To. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where it's like, okay, what's somebody else going through? What's somebody else doing today? How are you doing? Even a meeting where I may not even be interacting with anyone specifically, but I still have to listen to you and not have to focus on me. Um, So those for sure, you know, are my top three. And they're cliche because you hear them at every 12-step fucking meeting you've ever been to. Um, But they have worked for me. And so that's why I regurgitate them as disgusting as I don't want to have to do that. Uh, yeah. Um, it really hurts the ego. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you know, I've had it, I've given that for my sponsees to do, and then they call me and let me know how much it helped them too. And that's how I know that it's not just me. You know what I mean? I can tell a sponsee who's going through some shit, be like, 
just go ask somebody else because I got some sponsors that live in sober living. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just go give a compliment to somebody else right now. Um, and I told her to do that. And she went and did that and called me back and said, holy shit, I can't believe how much that worked because that person was going through a hard day and told me how much it meant to them that I said that to them right now. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's why it's, um, it's such a, it's such a beautiful experience. Um, again, you'll hear me say this many times. It doesn't make any sense in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but it works. And that's all I care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Like you said results. I think that's a really good way to put it too, yeah. that it's like, and it's true, you know, like, I mean, I think it, none of us would continue to go to meetings and like mm-hmm. talk to sponsors and work steps and do like kind of painful internal work that like nobody really like would want to do unless they were getting something really great from it. Yeah, I'm... uh in my spare time, no. I don't want to have to call someone who's got, like, questions for me about their fourth step. You know what I mean? Or, like, yeah. follow up on them. Like, are you done with your sex inventory? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about your sexual trauma in detail. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't want to do that. Like, there is a part of me that's like, oh, God, I don't care. Yeah, um, of course. But then there is the part that it's like, this works for me, so I yeah. will continue to do it. Um, you know, as willing as a dying or willing to be or whatever the fuck that quote yeah. is. Um, and then in turn, it does make me feel better. Um, so then I'm like, hmm, this is a win-win. Yes. Like, I feel better. They feel better. Great. I know. I always think of um, that. I don't know if you, did you ever watch Friends? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, there's an episode of Friends where Phoebe is trying to find like a selfless act yes. and like she can't yes. find one because it's like, well, no matter what you do, you're going to feel, you feel good about it. Yeah. So it's not selfless. Yeah. It's selfish. And I always think about that. Yeah. that it's like when I feel like, oh, I don't want to be of service. I don't want to go talk to that person. It's like, but you're going to feel better. Yeah. And uh, again, like just hearing myself say all this fucking shit is like, oh God, I sound like one of them. Like I, drank, I know. I drank the fucking Kool-Aid. Drank the Kool-Aid. Um, I hate it, but it's true. I know because I just hope that like um, when I give these suggestions either on here or to sponsees or just at a meeting, it's like... Uh, but I'm serious. Like, <laughs> but it worked. Like, I'm serious. Please listen to me. Uh, and, um, you know, and I remember when I was in rehab, these two dudes came in to do an H and I panel and, um, they were like straight cholos, like shaved head, wife beaters, tattooed from head to toe. They'd yeah. been prison cellies together. They each had about 10 years of recovery. And I was just like, no, nah, they're being honest. Yeah. Like these dudes have been through some shit. Um, and you know, they're suggesting the same stuff that the little old white lady that has like 30 years is compl- I cannot relate to her at all. Yeah. Uh, except for being white. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, their suggestions are the same as hers. Um, and so if they have been through what the fuck they've been through and use these suggestions to their benefit, I can do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, you know, in meetings and stuff like that, it's so important to like talk about some of your drug log because I want, you know, if anyone's out there listening to relate to what that shit is and then be like, well, damn, there is like light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Um, because I know for me personally, I had that, um, my situation is so much harder than yours or my past trauma is so much uglier. Uh, And so I believe that it works for you. I just don't believe it'll work for me. Like, I believe that y'all are being honest about this situation, Um, but I'm too fucked up in the head. Yeah. And so then, you know, what is it? Terminally unique. Terminal uniqueness. Yes. Um, And then to hear someone be like, oh, damn, that shit's kind of fucked up. Uh, (laughs) And they did it. So yeah. yeah, there's probably a chance I can do it too. Yes. Um, so yeah. How many, how many women, I mean, do you think have gone, went through the sober living 
while you were managing? Oh, God. Just ballpark. A couple hundred. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, a couple hundred. What do you see as being some of the biggest pitfalls for people when they leave? Ooh, I love this question. I know, is it right? <laughs> we can actually shout out to my mom because it was her I, Ooh, it was her question. Very good, very good <laughs> question, mom. Um not having a spiritual connection. Yeah. Boom. Like that is the top one. Um when there's not a willingness to want to do step work yeah. or be of service to others. Um, if you ever think that you got it, you're fucked. Yeah. Um, and I hear people say, I don't even want to drink anymore. I'm like, well, I'll see you back here in six months. Yeah. See in you my soon. Head. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and it's, it's unfortunate how common those things come around. And I have had handfuls of women that have been there two, three, four times in oh, separate yeah. occasions. Hi, mm-hmm. I'm one of them. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> what? Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and so you already, you know, I'm sure you can imagine those thought processes you yes. had. Um, and you can spot it a mile away. That's oh, a yeah. thing, too. Um, and if you're in a rush to get out of sober living, probably not a great sign. Um, you know what I mean? If you really, the people that drank the Kool-Aid have yeah. the best results, um, because I have seen people and you and not, you know, these people as well, um, that just don't quite go all the way in Yeah, and they die. Yeah, unfortunately. And they die. And I have had, uh, there's probably been 10 to 20 women that in that five and a half years that I lived there that are dead now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that have come through. And I feel um, like that's like on the modest side. It is. That's yeah. the ones that I know about. Yeah. I'm sure there are many that I will never hear about that they passed away. Yeah. Um, and they can be, some. they're young. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're young or, and they're, you know, they're good people that just didn't quite drink the Kool-Aid. And yeah. I use that mm-hmm. example because that's how I truly feel it is. Like it is one of those things where it's like, oh my God, yeah. I don't want to have to do this. How embarrassing, how lame, how stupid to like buy into this shit. Yeah. Um, but the relief that you get. Right. And luckily our Kool-Aid don't hurt a lot of people around us. Absolutely. Um, And so it's one of those things where people, I will say this because you are one of them. You can be too smart for recovery. (laughs) You cannot be too dumb. Yeah. 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 In my opinion. No, I I agree with you. I have seen so many smart people talk their way out. Uh, intellect, intellectualize, is that yes. a word? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, their way out of recovery. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, well, you just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, just take the direction and try something different. Like, literally at this point, you have nothing to lose. Like, if, you're, if you've made your way to sober living <laughs> and you are in, like, a bunk with a person that's been to prison three times, like, yeah, yeah your brains haven't gotten you that far. So why oh, yeah. not just like mm, take some direction and see if somebody else knows what the fuck they're talking about? Yeah, um, absolutely. That was a hundred percent my experience. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and um, and yeah, like and so much of intelligence goes hand in hand with pride. Oh, um, yes. Sometimes you know, non-intelligence also goes with pride. Um, you know, and this idea that you know better. And I always want to be like, if you knew better, why the fuck are you here? Yes. Um, For sure. That's the, that's the concession I had to make to myself, I think, when I was in that place was that like, I mean, again, this is cliche, but like my best thinking mm-hmm. got me here mm-hmm. over and mm. over again. Yeah. Like, yes. yeah. clearly I don't know what the fuck is best for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it takes, it's a lot of fucking work to change these really deep-seated 
like thoughts and actions and the way that we like think and think about ourselves and to have to, you know, like it says, to have to accept defeat. Yeah. You know, especially if you're someone like yourself who has a college degree, who made it through a master's program, right? It's like, how do you tell, how do you look at yourself and be like, how the fuck did I achieve that? But now when it comes to fucking drugs and alcohol, I can't beat this shit. Yeah. Um, And that's where that point comes in where it's like, you know, for me, it's it's not that you couldn't beat it. It's that it's a disease. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, this don't have nothing to do with your pride or who you are as a person or how smart or dumb or any of those things. It's the fact that one of our favorite analogies is that you were a cucumber and you yep. got pickled yep. and you cannot go back to being a cucumber. Yep. Um, and it's just like, once you, once you can just accept that and move the fuck on. There's so much relief that can come from that because you're not trying to continually prove to yourself that you can do this um, yes. on your own. Let me put it that way, that you can do this on your own um, or with your best thinking. Yeah, the best, th- my best thinking cap. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think that, I mean, yeah, I've seen it too with women that we know mm-hmm. um, and love, you know, that it's like, yes. it isn't, I mean, you just see it like you and um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I uh, it's so hard sometimes, too, because you see all the promise. Oh, God. Those are the ones that break your heart. Yeah. Um, That is another big, um, you know, every manager of a sober living has their own swing a thing has their own vibe has their own flow with their residents you know what I mean and um my thing was definitely trying to be honest um let me go back a little bit I remember someone telling me in the very beginning of my sobriety um honesty without compassion is brutality Mm -hmm. um and so I don't really sugarcoat a lot of things with my residents. Yeah. Um, but I try not to attack them personally. Yeah. I just try to be very honest about what is happening in this situation um, because to sugarcoat for them is not helpful. Yeah. No. Um, and, um, you know, and the thing is, is that some of the stuff that has to get brought up, you know, can be hard shit to talk about yeah um they can be hard things to uh, you know there's one thing that sticks out in my mind in particular is that I had this woman who was in her 60s and severely overweight and and she relapsed and I had to kick her out on the streets because she couldn't stay there um and she's actually dead today yeah um and so there are some um hard things that you have to do. Um, but for me, it comes down to the safety of the rest of the people, rest of the, for me, women in that home. Um, and setting a precedent, you know what I mean? That it's like, we have consequences for our actions. Um, whether you like them or not, like this is the real world. Yes. Um, and, uh, I never thought about consequences when I was using no, no. Well, I mean, or if I did, they seemed like off in the distance. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel for, for me, I think one of the most helpful things that sober living did for me was that, and it took me a while to figure this one out, but uh, <laughs> that the consequences of that happen in sober living are the same consequences that happen in the real world, the quote unquote real world. Absolutely. They just happen a lot faster. Yes. So you know, as I learned on my last relapse that I can have my own place and I can not have to be tested for drugs and um, I can be working my job and paying my rent. However, if I, but I will eventually lose those things. Yes. Because I will not be able to maintain that. Yeah. Whereas in sober living, oh, you're dirty. Well, you're you're exited. You're out on, you know, you're out on your ass. And that was really helpful for me, even though at the time I obviously didn't think so. I thought Mm -hmm. it was a little harsh. Of course, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is harsh. Yeah. But I think that, like you're saying, 
with the way that you interact with residents that I mean is a hundred percent my experience with you that like having that honesty and that it not being honest and trying to sugarcoat things doesn't help anyone. Exactly. And that's the same thing with those consequences. Mm-hmm. If we, if at the, if at the sober living, you know, you tested dirty and we're allowed to just like go about your life with, I mean, what good is that doing anybody? And it's not teaching you how to live this new way. Exactly. Well, and because you can do that, if you were to get away with that in a sober living, um, what are the odds that when you leave there, you end up accidentally killing yourself of yeah. an accidental overdose, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, and I have had to tell a lot of women, like, this isn't personal. This yeah. isn't about you. Like, um, I can't allow you to stay here because what does that tell you? Yeah. What does that teach you? What do you learn from that? What changes will be made if that happens? None. I fucking wouldn't. Uh, if I could get away with using it as sober living, why the hell would I even be there? Yeah, what would be the point? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe cheap rent. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that at that point, that's the only thing that you're going for. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I lost what I was going to say, but... No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I am incredibly grateful for having the opportunity to have like met you and learn from you through mm-hmm. sober living. Um, I mean, like, yeah, I, I mean, I remember when I was in treatment this last time around. We'll see you next time. And because I, I mean, I, I left in like a big fucking, it was like a whole thing. When I left the time before that, it was like, <laughs> don't ever come back. You know, like you fucked up. And, uh, but I remember being in treatment and thinking like, that's the only place I want to be. I want to be, I want to be at the tree with Sierra, with my friends, with people that I trust. And, um, and I think that like, that's the kind of environment that is bred there. And that's the ideal, you know what I mean? That people feel safe, that it, um, is a place where you can go through the, wild emotional roller coaster of mm-hmm. early sobriety mm-hmm. in a place where you're with people who get it. <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree because there is so much stuff, guilt, shame, um depression, pain, anxiety that come up in those first few months because you yeah. are starting to realize the wreckage you have caused. Yeah. Um and if I were to have been alone, at that time, there is no way in hell I would have been able to hang. No, um, absolutely not. That's why I continued to use when I was out there. Mm-hmm. Um, the wreckage of my past was so debilitating to me that it was, I couldn't deal with it, you yeah. know? And I wasn't anywhere close to being a person that was strong enough to deal with it. Um, and so, you know, you go into a sober living And you have these women that are going through the same shit. And you can talk to someone who knows what you are going through. And they're going through the exact same thing. Uh, And you can confide in them with the guilt that you have for uh, pawning something of your mom's. Yeah. Or embezzling from the family (laughs) business. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know what I mean? Or stealing your mom's car. Like, those those are some of the things that I did. Um, Stealing change from my brother. You know, all of those things, those little memories pop up when you start to get sober, especially when you're starting to do step work. Um, And that shit is hard. It's hard to have to face the fact that you were that person. Yeah. Um, Because most of us aren't like that deep down. You know, I mean, that's not the core of who we are. And um, and drugs and alcohol change us. And so when you come those first few months of sobriety and recognizing, you know, if you had a career that you lost because of it or DUI, DUIs cause a lot of people that's a, it seems an insurmountable amount of things that you have to do to get yeah. past that. And time. Exactly. Time and money. And like, there's just no way in hell I'm going to be able to do this. And And there's somebody there that, A, has done it Mm -hmm. or is in the process. They're halfway through. You know, you meet these people in all these different areas of early recovery, which shows you that it's possible. Yes. And for me, I needed examples and I needed hope and I needed to know that it's fucking possible. Because if I didn't see that, 
if I didn't have examples of that, I would never think that it was possible. Uh, and I got a lot of that um, in early recovery at, at at sober living. And then I also got to see a lot of that as a manager of new residents seeing either me that way mm-hmm. and me being able to say like, hey, I came in with like 10 grand in debt. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I don't have no debt now. Like, yes. It, it's possible. I came in with teeth falling out of my I face. Was, I was just about to say, you fixed your teeth. Yes, with my teeth literally falling out of my face and I fixed all of them. Like, and all of those things, like if I were to have listed it all on paper and been like, this is all that I have to do, I would have been like, no way, dude. Yeah. There's no way I can do all this. Yeah, what is this, a five-year plan? Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so you get to see so many different aspects of starting to be a functioning human being, dealing with the the shit that you've done in your past, dealing with the emotions that are coming up, uh, on top of learning how to deal with them as they come up in the future. Yeah, That's a really big one because if you fucking hate your roommate because this bitch won't shut the fuck up, <laughs> that's a real great example of what happens when one day you have a coworker that's the same exact way yeah. and learning how to deal with it, set boundaries, what to do, what you don't do, you know what I mean? And recognizing that the world doesn't revolve around you and a lot of people have to deal with this whether they're an addict or not. Uh, yeah, to varying levels of success. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's where, like, you know, so many lessons can be learned in that situation because communal living is not the greatest. No. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, there are so many benefits to it, but it's going to get on your nerves. You're going to be irritated by people. One of our favorite things to talk about is like, who drank my coffee creamer? Oh, yeah, the coffee creamer. (laughs) Oh, my God. The number one most stolen item in any sober living. (laughs) Right? And so it's one of those things where you learn that it's like how to cope, Mm -hmm. how to deal without it being the end of the world and without everybody. It's not all about you. Yes. You know what I mean? And if it is about you, it's about how you are going to deal with this because that is the only thing you can control. Yes, your Um, actions and reactions. How do you change those? Yes. And uh, most of us, even before we got into drugs and alcohol, didn't know how to do that shit. Yeah. Um, So you are, for the first time in your life, learning how to deal with other human beings in a non-selfish, non-world-revolves-around-me type of way. Yes. That Um, other people also share this earth with you. Exactly. This this home, this space. What a concept. Yeah, I know. It really is. (laughs) At first, you're like, what? Yeah. Like, you know that I'm here. And there's like, yeah, well, so are 30 other people. Yeah, so are 30 other people. And they're all struggling. And (laughs) everyone's going through their shit. So, And one of my favorite things in um, sober living is when you have somebody that comes in with like a week of sobriety. And then you have somebody that's got about six months. And how irritated that person with six months will get with that person with one week. And I'll just look at him and be like, that was you six months ago. I'm going to need you to take it a level down and be compassionate because I was for you. Uh, Yes. Um, And that's just part of the progress of like for some reason, and I'm guilty of it, we all are, of like you get a few months under your belt and you're like, I'm the best person in the world. I've got everything figured out. This newcomer is bugging the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. Or when you're the person who like maybe in your room has the most time. (laughs) You're like... I I know what's going on here, guys. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna need to get in line. Do you Shape know up. that I have six months? I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm amazing. I, half a cake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and those are really good lessons to have too, because you need someone. You need to be in that place of like arrogance, kind of, because I think a lot of people get there, um, and then have someone humble you yes and being like hey dude like you were that exact same way six months ago like have some compassion bring it down a notch who you know humble yourself to recognize what they are going through yes um well and those are the skills that are going to continue to benefit you outside of sober living because like it'll like you said it'll happen at work it'll Mm -hmm. happen in your family Mm -hmm. it'll happen in your family relationships with other people where you have to check yourself yes yeah and again, it's a skill that not everybody has. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, like we're um, actually really lucky that we get to like learn these things and yep. practice these skills because it makes us like, well, I mean, kind of come full circle on our conversation from like the beginning of this, that it's like it makes us more well-rounded people. Absolutely. Like I, when people say like, 
I'm grateful that I'm like an alcoholic in recovery. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what they mean. What they mean is that they've learned how to deal with their reactions and their actions in life. You know what I mean? And like, I make tons of mistakes. Like the only mistake I haven't made in recovery is that I haven't drank or used. Like that's it. Everything else, everything I else you've up. done, check it yeah. off the list. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, done yeah. fucked up, um, and that's what's so great about it too. Like that's one of my favorite things is that it's like um, it's okay that like I'm not perfect. Like best believe there are times where I still want to like slash someone's tires. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't anymore, which is a really great that's thing. A, that's progress. Um, yeah. But for sure my mind thinks about it. For sure my mind thinks about, um, oh, I wonder what the weed is like nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I never really liked wine, but I wonder if I would now. Yeah. You know, my brain has those thoughts, but luckily when I do what I need to do for my own recovery, which is prayer and meetings and working with my sponsees and checking in with my sponsor, those thoughts come, they last about five to 10, maybe a minute, seconds, Mm -hmm. um, and then they go. Yeah. Uh, And that is like the difference, uh, I think, of people who are spiritually connected and those who are not is that mine are fleeting. Yes. And when you're not spiritually connected, they linger. And that lingering is where... You linger on that shit for too long, your brain starts to tell you, your brain starts to believe it. Yes. Oh, for sure. You start to believe your own lies again. Exactly. Um, and so I know why people say they're grateful alcoholics is because those thoughts don't linger. You know, they have solutions, um, they have people in their life, they have all of the, especially the community that you get in recovery. Yeah. Um, whether you're in a 12-step program or an outpatient or a sober living, like no matter where you're at, these people, they, it talks about in the big book that it's like, you know, we're all like passengers of a sinking ship. Yeah. So we all have like this understanding of what we're going through, right? And like in a traumatic way. Yeah. Um, yes, shared trauma for exactly. sure. Exactly. And so that's where, you know, I think I've heard before that it's like when you share like a taboo with someone, mm-hmm. it creates a stronger bond. Yeah. Um, and for sure being a heroin addict is taboo. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Um, I mean, apparently anyway. It's I know, I mean, not in my realm of friends, but whatevs. But yeah, in the real, in the real world, <laughs> yeah. um, I know we're, we're kind of getting to the end of our time, but, okay. um, so I'm going to ask you the question I always hate when people ask me, so okay. apologies in advance, but what would be the one thing that you or what what is what would you like to share with people who are maybe you know about to leave sober living and um go out on their own like what would you say to them i would say make like a schedule or routine of things that you are going to do every day to make sure that you can maintain your recovery, such as if you have a good friend in sobriety or at the sober living, call them every day Mm -hmm. or check in with them every day. Uh, If you have a meeting that you go to uh, or try to hit a meeting every day, I think the most important thing is to do things to keep you connected. Yeah. Um, because I have seen so many women who disconnect from the, the women that they have met that they've become friends with. Um, they disconnect from them and then they're never heard of until they're coming to check back in. Yep. Um, stay connected to your people. People keep you accountable. They keep you in the right frame of mind. Um, they, you know, especially if they're good friends, they'll call you on your shit. Yes. Um, you know, the connection to wherever or whatever your recovery is, I think is the most important. So whatever you got to do, if that's set alarms on your phone or create a checklist of post-it notes or whatever you got to put up around you, uh, to remind you, okay, have I connected with my people today? Have I connected with my program? Um, and that includes, you know, the friends, the the meetings, the community, the prayer, the step work, the reading of whatever literature you're reading at the time, any of those things just keep you grounded in um, in your recovery, I would say is the most important thing. I love that. And yeah, I found that to be true as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay. I think, uh, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah. See, I knew this would, I knew yeah. this would be good. Yeah. I, I had good feelings about it. Good. Give vibes. me an opportunity to talk about myself and recovery right. on there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> talk about yourself for an hour ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, this has been great. Um, I'm so happy that you were available to do this and this, thank is, you, thank this you. is awesome. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think that's all from us today on get real sobriety and, uh, join us next time. It'll be David. I mean, that's going to be great. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Have a good morning, afternoon, evening. Whenever you're watching this. Whatever time's on your end. Listening. Listening, watching, reading. <laughs> we don't know. Whatever you're doing. Whatever you're doing. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. I'd like to thank all the people that are involved in making this happen. Gerald Jones for producing and engineering this podcast. He's absolutely brilliant. Follow him on Instagram at Sonia html his music is amazing maya grace for her hair and makeup i know what you're saying this is a podcast why do you have hair and makeup we just want to look awesome for each other see you next time